ideas, inspiration, innovation. This is The Game Changer. And now here's your host, Chickie Fitzgerald. Good afternoon, this is Chickie Fitzgerald, and we are talking to a game changer about profit today. Our guest is Daria Rogers, and she has written a book called Decide to Profit, Nine Steps to a Better Bottom Line. Daria, welcome. Thank you. It is so good to have you with us today, but Daria, before we start talking about your book, I want to hear a little bit about you. Why don't you give us a thumbnail uh, about your life and how you got to the place where you felt compelled or somebody told you (laughs) that you needed to write this book? Yeah, sure. So my background is actually quite varied. Uh, I have run my consulting business for about the last 12 years. I've worked with a variety of companies and industries, had a lot of interaction with very, very large companies, very, very uh, senior execs, had the opportunity to travel the world both uh, internationally and domestic, really got to know a lot of people in a lot of businesses uh, across a variety of industries. Uh, My background, uh, personally, from, from an education perspective, I got my PhD at UC Davis, and very early on, I realized that I would not make a very good employee, so I'd better (laughs) run my own business. And at that point in time, um, and over the course of the majority of my career, I have always been my own boss, and that's been very important. Uh, What led to the book was kind of a culmination of the last decade or so of working with all of these people and all of these organizations, it had always kind of dumbfounded me how off track both management and companies would get. And, you know, we'd do these strategic planning sessions, and invariably it would always keep coming back to the same thing. Something is broken. We need to fix it. A lot of discussion would happen, and then you'd regroup the next year and they'd made little to no progress on exactly what that issue was. Right. And I, I just would shake my head year after year. And finally, I had a senior executive a couple of years ago say to me, hey, you know, you keep coming in, you keep helping us. I just wish there was one single operations <laughs> manual that we could operate from. And well, that's very, the genesis of Decide to Profit. Yeah. Well, I love it because you're, you're absolutely right. I've had a consulting firm for uh, 21 years, and, and while I don't actively consult anymore because uh, I've shifted to building uh, systems and, and technology, um, I had that same uh, observation about my clients of, of wouldn't it be nice if they would have all of this in one place. So you begin the book uh, by talking about the – and you talk about identify the system, singular, that needs improvement. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. quite often it isn't just one thing, right? So, yes, uh, and, it, and it's not necessarily we think of system as being technology, but system can be way more than just technology. Yes. So you bring up a very, very important point. 
And it's one of the very important first elements of the nine steps. And that is the definition of a system. So the only reason that I use the word system is because it's a generic word. It's not because I'm actually talking about a, you know, a technology or a process or an actual system. System simply means any process, any organization, any problem, anything that needs fixing. And every company that I've ever worked with, they always find something that needs fixing or they know inherently that something is not as good as it should be. And to me, that's the beginning of the nine steps. What is it that you want to fix? And you right. got to really narrow it down. Right. And I'll tell you, uh, I shared with you before we got on the air that I'm in the process of building my next company. And the interesting thing is we know that one of our goals will be to raise an external round of capital in mm -hmm. uh, about six months from now, maybe six to eight months. And I am actually consulting with the person that I would like to have them help us raise capital to ensure not that we are improving systems because we really don't have systems in place and processes in place, but to tell us what the right foundations are for a startup. So if, if anyone is listening to this show and thinking, well, you know, I'm, I'm really early stage. This doesn't apply to me. Please listen up because it actually does. And, and if you're yeah. starting, it's actually the best time to put things in place, you know, yes, really to help absolutely. you get to that place. And, and it leads right into step two, which is putting the right team together. So mm -hmm. why don't you talk to us a little bit about the impact of people on this whole uh, topic of process? Yeah. Um, you know, step two is one of the probably – one of the most important steps. And the reason for that is, um, and I'm sure you've run across this as well, uh, you can have an organization that has a fantastic technology. You can have a company that's fully capitalized. You can have the best product or service out there. But if you don't have the right people, none of that matters. And so putting the right team together means just because you have somebody with a title or just because you brought in somebody that has the right experience, they may not be the right people to solve that exact issue. So you need to really take a good hard look. Do you have the right people working on solving whatever this right. issue is? And I love so, bring that up ahead. because as as a consultant, I know that quite often people try to solve a what I will call a one-time problem, which is, is really the setup and establishing of something new, they try to solve that by hiring someone in that area. And quite often, the person that needs to run with it won't know how to set up the system. It's a different skill set. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Like, for example, for me, when I was implementing the nine steps in some of the companies that I worked with, some of the very best ideas and some of the best solutions and observations came from people that were very, very low in hierarchy. They were people that were actually doing work within the system. So these are field people or craft people or laborers or warehouse employees or you name it. And these people had tremendous observations and great ideas. 
Right. And, and you're so right. And, and really talking to the front line is such a critical part of getting this right. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then on top of that, there's another piece that a lot of companies miss. And that is, yeah, you can hire consultants, you can hire people that are experts, but there are people that are within, uh, maybe not internal to your company, but they are uh, affiliated or they're ancillary. Your vendors, your customers, your suppliers, they can have some really good insights. Exactly, exactly. So really, you know, this whole issue of just listening, and, and of course you have to know who to listen to, but but being open and not, not being rigid I think is really the, the bottom line there. And but you know, you you then step into something that is, I think, really foundational to this, which is identifying the goal. You know, if you don't know where you're going, it's pretty tough to get there. Yeah. And step three is all around one singular premise: the goal. Identifying the goal must be tied to making money. You should not be trying to fix things that ultimately do not result in improving the profit. It's nonsensical. I mean, there are other key indicators like safety and quality and things like that that are very important. But at the end of the day, if you're if you're making improvements and they are not improving your bottom line, you should not be expending time, people, and resources. Exactly. Exactly. So then the next thing that you bring up in step four is observing the system. So, you know, stepping back uh, and really looking at it as a whole. Yes. So, and step four is probably the most difficult to do of all the nine steps. And this is, in my experience over the last few years in doing this, this is where this process generally falls apart. And that's because this step requires quite a bit of discipline. It requires the people involved in the observation to be objective, to be analytical, not to bring in bias, not to bring in culture, not to bring in other things that will influence the outcome. And I see managers in particular are guilty of this. They assume that they already know the answer. And they think that step four is either unnecessary or unneeded. And that can be problematic. And I think the managers in particular need to pay a lot of attention to this. Is your personal bias or your tenure in your company impacting what you think either A, the problem is, or B, the solution should be? And this step is designed to eliminate that bias. Oh, I'm sorry. I had to sorry. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, I was saying this leads right into the next step, which is identifying the bottlenecks within a system. And why don't you give us some examples of bottlenecks that you might find as a part of that observation? Step five is designed to mimic um, a very important book called The Goal. And The Goal was written around the idea of identifying bottlenecks within uh, manufacturing systems. But what's really interesting about identifying bottlenecks is bottlenecks can occur within any organization. 
it doesn't necessarily mean you have to be a manufacturer, you have to be producing a good. What it means is there are places within your organization or within your internal processes where bottlenecks are happening. And bottlenecks are simply places where work is being done inefficiently and it's not contributing to the bottom line. It's not contributing to making money. And that's where you really want to focus your energy. So in this step, the whole purpose is to identify those bottlenecks and then the theory of constraints in the goal says, okay, we've found our bottleneck. Now we are putting all of our resources and all of our efforts in eliminating that bottleneck. We're not going to be unfocused. We're not going to be distracted. We are going to focus on that one bottleneck and remove it. Right, right. But you also talk about how important it is, and again, I think that this goes back to the put the right team together, about really brainstorming. So you've now identified the bottleneck, and as we all know, there isn't just one solution to a problem. Right. Well, and it's interesting. I've been asked uh, when the book came out, I was asked, why why did you put brainstorming so late in the process? Wouldn't you want this (laughs) at the front end? And my answer to that is no, because brainstorming is a creative process, and you want it to be kind of a freewheeling, open, innovative, creative process. But you don't want it to be that way until you're focused on the right goal and solving the the right problem. Because if you put brainstorming at the front, it's going to end up in a lot of rabbit trails, and I've seen that many, many times. Perfect, perfect. And so so then is the selection of the optimal solution. And, and again, you, you use plural here because, again, there isn't uh, always just one. There may be many areas of the system that you have to touch. So the focus here is on improvement. And, again, not just process improvement, but uh, to your point earlier, if that process improvement doesn't uh, produce incremental profitability, either in reduction of cost or increasing your revenues um, or just, you know, increasing your team's focus so that they can naturally produce more revenue mm-hmm. at a lower cost. Um, you know, that it's, it's only then that you can actually select what you're going to be doing and, and lay it out in a plan. And I, I'm going to ask you to go ahead and address step eight at the same time, because then you talk about the value of implementing just one of those changes at a time. Mm-hmm. So after you go through the brainstorming process, you will have landed on you know one or more ideas to fix the problem. Right. The idea for the next step is that you are going to do a return on investment an analysis, meaning if we implement this solution that we came up with, what is the actual quantitative return on investment? So we're not just going to go willy-nilly and go implement something and hope that it results in an improvement. We're going to do a thorough quantitative mathematical analysis, and I realize that might give some people some heart, but the way the Side to Profit is written, there are forms, uh, downloadable forms on my website. There are step-by-step guidelines on how to do it, I I have downloaded examples of return on investment analyses, so I'm not asking anybody to do anything that's impossible. But the whole point of this is 
you must do a quantitative analysis. There must be data to support that your idea will fix the problem and result in increased profitability. Right. And then step eight is, okay, we're going to implement, let's say we've come up with three different ideas during our brainstorming process. We are going to implement each one of them independently. We're not going to mix and match because there's no way to really know which solution is impacting your bottom line if you don't analyze them one at a time. Right, right. And then you you move into step nine, uh, which is, of course, the culmination of, of everything in the book, which is really creating and sustaining a culture of continuous improvement. And and I would ask you to address, when as you answered this one, um, does that start at the bottom of the organization, of getting them to do this as a part of their everyday? Does it have to come from the top in setting that example? Is it a mixture of those two? How do you help companies, uh, after they've fixed something, to actually make sure that they stay in that culture of continuous improvement? This is one of the steps that is also very difficult. And, and the first answer to your question is it requires both. It requires both a top-down and a bottom-up approach. Uh, managers and executives need to be open to their employees, bringing them ideas. And the whole purpose of the nine steps is there are nine forms available for employees to go through the analysis uh, and, and provide quantitative data to their managers and say, look, I've thought about this fix. I've thought about this idea. I've done the map. I've done my homework. Here, here's the results. This is why I think this is a good idea. And then conversely, for managers, it allows them to not have to make all of the decisions and pay attention to everything, which you and I both know they can't. Uh, it's impossible for a manager to really know everything that's going on. So there, the, it enables managers to leverage the eyes and the ears and the intelligence of their entire employee base. And it really, that's what's going to create that culture of continuous improvement, is that synergy between managers and employees, where ideas and innovation and improvements are valued equally. The employees are given a voice, the managers are given a tool. And when it's implemented properly, it can really change a culture for the better. Right, right. So since you've written the book, what, what has been the most surprising feedback that you've gotten from people who've read it and uh, decided to implement it. Is, is there anything that, that you didn't expect as a result of writing the book? Um, yeah, the, the feedback, some of the feedback I'm get, getting is very interesting. I expected that primarily I would hear from executives and managers and CEOs saying, oh, yeah, you know, this is another good management book. But actually, the I've been hearing more from employees, and I've been hearing a lot from millennials that are saying, this is fantastic. We know that we want to have input. We know we want to be vested in our companies. We want to have a voice. And this enables us to do it in a way that we believe people that are not in our generation are actually going to listen. And I found that somewhat surprising and actually very <laughs> encouraging. 
Well, when I read the feedback uh, the, that's on your book cover, uh, and I'm going to read just uh, a couple of these because I think it's it's really important that people understand when you've got a book like this that that has a lot of meat in it. You know, quite frankly, and and if you're just into snacking, you don't want to sit down to a big meal, right? But but what this says, uh, and, and this was a quote uh, by someone I, I think was one of your clients at the California Department of Water Resources. Leave it to Dariah to take a challenging concept and turn it into something simple and straightforward. Every CEO will benefit from reading this. And then uh, there, there was another uh, about simplicity, and this is from, from Mike Moore uh, from Dexcom. Dariah's simple process-oriented approach will increase profitability and develop a dyna- dynamite culture of continuous improvement for you and your firm. Making money makes sense to me. And I love that because we, we all do want to make money. And, you know, as I mentioned, I'm starting uh, my what is my second startup of a company that I own. I've actually done 10 startups total. Uh, but, but, you know, obviously the ones that you have equity in uh, – you know, are, are a little bit closer to your heart. And I will just tell you that this book is now making it to the top of my reading pile for my vacation because I'm leaving Wonderful. tomorrow on vacation. And I've told my husband I am not going to be wrapped around my laptop the whole time, but I didn't promise I wouldn't do reading. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. So, Dariah, uh, if folks would like to get in touch with you, and I know you do uh, consulting uh, for companies who want to improve their profitability, what is the best way from, for them to get in touch with you? Yeah, the uh, best way to get in touch is simply to go to my website, which is paradigmconsulting.com, and that's P-A-R-A-D-Y-N-E consulting.com. Well, perfect. Again, we have been talking to Dariah Rogers. She is the author of Decide to Profit, Nine Steps to a Better Bottom Line. It is available now in electronic edition. And when will it hit bookstores, Dariah? It is available. It is available both in electronic and hard copy. Oh, good. And okay. it can, yeah, it can be found on Amazon. Okay, perfect, perfect. Well, I have just really enjoyed this. And like I said, I I am at the perfect stage uh, to make sure that I don't make mistakes in how I set up those systems in my new company to give us the greatest chance uh, for for success and to reduce our risks. I encourage those of you who are listening uh, that are in early stage companies uh, to go ahead and use this as a roadmap. As Dariah mentioned, she's got a lot of really practical tools both in the book and on her website so Dariah again thank you so so much for joining us and you. Uh, you have really given us a way to help companies change their game and and there is nothing better than getting to a better bottom line perfect thank you all right thank you so much and all right, just I appreciate a reminder it. we are not going to have a, a radio show next week I am uh, taking that elusive vacation that I haven't had with my family for two years <laughs> So uh, I will be back on the first Friday in, in August. So thanks so much for listening, and we will talk to you in a few weeks. You've been listening to The Game Changer. Ideas. Inspiration. Innovation. With Chickie Fitzgerald.